0: blue wire
1: what is up nets fans welcome to Brooklyn buzz i'm nick Faye with me as always jack manuel jack how we doing
2: the second part is always the best part
1: yeah hopefully you know the sequel lives up to uh the intro but jack where are we
0: starting
2: Let's go with Ben Mann next because we have a lot of questions to get through. So let's just dive right in. Ben Mann on Twitter asks us this. Can the Nets get Miles Turner? Seems like he would feel their biggest need. Rim protection and stretch five. Allow Simmons to defend like he did when he had Embiid behind him. I think the prototype of Miles Turner makes a lot of sense, but there seems to be a lot of Lakers rumors, rumors surrounding him, and he also got renewed consolidation about Ben Simmons being untradeable, a quote unquote uh, around that. So, can the Nets get Miles Turner, Nick?
1: Um, I think they could. Obviously, they'd have to trade Joe Harris. I think it'd be more likely to see it, you know, later in the season or towards the deadline when Nick Claxton is available to be traded. That'd be somebody who maybe would make a little bit of sense too for the Pacers. You know, getting a young center in house. So. You know, I think keep an eye on Miles Turner. Like you said, he could end up in the Lakers within the next couple of weeks. But if he's still on the Pacers at the end of December, the Nets could definitely be a team that
2: pursues him. Yeah, I think Miles Turner's turned into the new Aaron Gordon. You know, he's going to be the guy that's just until he's traded to whatever team that he is. And I think Miles Turner, the Nets can't find, if the Nets have Miles Turner on their roster, I, there's, there's still obviously, you know, some concerns because, like, if they go up against an NBA, I don't think Miles Turner is a good. Post defender, I think you know that's one He's area where struggled with beat in the past too. He has, and Clax you know, hasn't. So, but having Miles Turner on the roster would you know solve a, a lot of issues. So I think that the Nets trying to find that in some form or fashion, whether it's Miles Turner or a facsimile of that, is certainly going to be a priority. I think the Nets can get him, as you alluded to, Nick. They have the assets. That Joe Harris contract is is the big one. That makes the most sense, but are they going to trade this off season? I don't think so. Could they have the trade deadline? Maybe. You know, it depends on where the team is at, where Miles Turner is available, what sort of you know prototypical wings are available uh, in, in that sort of sense. So it they could, and I do love what he would bring to this Nets team. The Nets would be you know, maybe one of the championship favorites, like they already are, but consolidating uh, a lot of factors. But I think that it's it's unlikely as we currently stand. I think the Lakers are probably in the box seat uh, for Miles Turner services.
1: Yeah, and they seem a little bit more desperate to make that trade. And like I said, you know, you could get there with, you know, Nick Claxton and Patty Mills and another small contract, you know, towards the deadline rather than having to trade Joe Harris. You know, that'd be ideal. Maybe you have to throw, you know, a first round pick or something like that. Or maybe it's Cam Thomas and you get Miles Turner and you keep Joe Harris and you keep Seth Curry and then you really have a great rotation to compete. And like you said, The skill set of Miles Turner is ideal next to Ben, not because what he can do defensively, that's great, but it's what he can do offensively in terms of spacing the floor. And that's so hard to find a guy that can protect the rim and space the floor at a high rate in which Miles Turner does. Maybe not the shooting part, but, you know, one of the best defensive bigs, I would say, in terms of protecting the rim.
2: Yeah, he's an incredible rim protector, but legitimately one of the best in the league, if not like the best. So we'll get to a heap of questions that we got from Bishop. We'll do them one at a time, Nick. First one, is Sean Marks' seat as hot as Nash's?
1: I don't think it's quite as hot because I don't think Sean Marks is going to get fired mid-season, but I do think Steve Nash good. So his, heat, uh, his seat is definitely hotter, but I think Sean Marks' seat is very hot as well. You know, if the season doesn't go well, there's, you know, issues with the roster come you know playoff time or they don't make the necessary trade to deal with an injury or make that proper upgrade you know he could be gone at the end of this season potentially but i I think steve nash has you know one of the hottest seats in the nba
2: i think it's it's on fire you know it's as hot as hansel was in zoolander one it's hot right (laughs) now uh, but in, in in saying that, Sean Marks, my opinion, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think Sean Marks, I actually, you know, people think that I'm a Sean Marks hater. I'm a lover. I'm a hater. They <laughs> don't know where I stand. But I judge on what he's doing and what he's done this off has been pretty good. You know, I'm not going to give it an A plus because there's been a lot of things extenuating circumstances. But the moves that he has made to strengthen this roster to make them a championship caliber roster have been positive. So I think that. What he's shown recently, I'm like, okay, I'm a, I'm, I'm warm to that. Whereas Steve Nash, you know, what are you going to show us in, in a tough stretch to open the season, Nick? That's where it's going to, you know, we we chatted a bit about the schedule in a previous episode, so check that one out uh, for for Nick and I dissecting the the early parts portions of the season. That's where Nash could make or break his coaching tenure with the Brooklyn Nets, and uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see. We'll get to the next one, Nick, because there's a lot to get to throughout this episode, let alone just from Bishop himself. I gave my answer to this on a a Twitter spaces, but I'm intrigued to hear what you sort of said. And and shout out to Cash for inviting me on for that one. Which young net needs to make the biggest jump? So Cam Thomas, Darren Sharp, Kessler Woods, maybe David Duke Jr., you can throw him in there. Uh, He's obviously still fighting for that two-way contract, as Chris Mullen has reported. But what do you think, Nick?
1: Yeah, this is tough. I think you could look at this from a lot of different angles. You know, I think... Right off, you know, Rip, I think the guy that could probably improve to the fact in having, you know, an impact for this current roster would, in my eyes, be Kessler Edwards because of what he can do and how he could fit next to the stars. And his role is just kind of plug and play if he's able to elevate, you know, Cam, it's going to be tough for him unless he's scoring at a ridiculous clip and, you know, improve drastically defensively. And the same thing for Dayron. I think, you know, Dayron is getting you know, playoff rotation minutes, he's either excelled to the highest extent or there's issues within this team or the roster construction. Cause I just don't think he's there where Kess is able to play a position where he's not going to get targeted because defensively he's good enough and offensively, he's not asked to really do much of anything except shoot three. So if he's shooting, you know, 44% from three and playing great defense, he can have a real impact on the team. And I think in some extent it's easiest to see that happen out of the other guys excelling in their role, but, Kess still has to show that, and I, I'm not saying I'm confident he's going to do it this season.
2: Yeah, and I, I said on on the spaces that you know he's summer league left a lot to be desired. You've you've I've talked about that on the podcast and and on your uh, on your timeline as well. I make the case for Dayon Sharp purely because the way that the Nets roster is currently constructed, he's the backup center. You yeah. know, if you if you're going with like Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton, Dayon Sharp is your only other. Traditional-ish center. You know, he's a very good rebounder, and uh, he. Uh, we, we chatted a lot about Daron Sharp on the last part. So I'll just make the case for Daron Sharp purely because of how the roster is currently constructed. He might need to make a jump if he wants to prove himself to be with his team. And again, extensive Daron Sharp thoughts on part one, guys. Thank you everyone for who did listen to that. But if you haven't, go back then and come back and listen to to this part as well. Next question for you, Nick. Again, Bishop, we could have got a whole episode out of this. We're trying to be as hot-takey and quick as possible as we can with it. Uh, Bishop asks, do you trust Nash to get the rotations right? Uh, no. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you're, I mean, you're pretty much right. Do Do I trust him? No. Do I think it's possible? Yeah, I do. I think especially if he's prepared coming to the season you know as has their idea of what to do and make this team excel and him and you know sean marks are on the same page in terms of the additions to the roster you know if they lean into playing that fast style of basketball in which he excelled at in his career i could see that you know benefiting nash as you know head coach and then also having ego around should help him too
2: yeah, and I think the rotations include not playing uh, two superstars 47 minutes yep. on back-to-back. So I think that that needs to be something that Nash Just needs to Just honestly, be they
1: shouldn't be playing 40 minutes in general unless it's, you know, a big game.
2: Yeah, unless it's one of those marquee games you want to make a statement. KD wants to go out there and, and really his stuff. So, look, I don't trust him, but I'm happy to be proven wrong as I have been with Sean Marks and with my uh, predictions on Kevin Durant possibly leaving. But, yeah, prove me wrong, Stephen. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Do you see a pass for a Kyrie extension, Nick?
1: Yeah, we kind of hinted at this, I think, at another episode. Um, you know, the Nets are off to an excellent start, you know, something like 30 and eight, and Kyrie's playing, you know, extremely high level basketball. He looks like a top 10, top 15 player that's going to make an all NBA team. I think that's something you could see, especially if, you know, the relationship is really clicking off the court and Kyrie continues to be this ideal, you know, role model, teammate, and leader for the Nets.
2: No, and I, I th- one thing I will say is the what could be the key determining factor for a Kyrie extension is his availability. Yeah. Is he up until February or up until this entire season? If he plays 65 games plus... I think he could earn himself an extension before the season does end because when Kyrie is out there we know what he can do and he makes an impact on this team individually and also you know to the collective as a whole I think he's really good behind the scenes really good leader you know teammates absolutely love him so I think for me that is the number one thing that we probably haven't discussed a lot of and we will in, in more previews about Kyrie's availability and how that could impact himself and his future in, in terms of his financial future his contract his extension as well as his future with the team or, or, or outside the team so that's for me is the the one thing uh, any other final Kyrie thoughts Nick before I get to a couple other questions no I
1: think you pretty much nailed it Jack I think you know maybe something along the all-star break would be a time where you could potentially see it in season other than that I think it could
2: probably end up waiting to the off season. definitely do the Nets need to add to the coaching staff Nick yes and why <laughs> Look, I, <laughs> Bishop didn't say that I said yes and yeah. why
1: Yeah, no, they definitely do. I think you want to see more experience. They definitely have some newer staff, even if that's also just having people come in as consultants, you know, not that full time role, just having more experience, more minds in there that kind of help steady Steve Nash and have a,
2: a positive influence on him. Korver's gone, Clifford's gone, those sort of consultants. Amari Stoudemire's gone. You know, you need some just guys around to, ha- to have around the team. You know, ask Kyrie and, and Katie who some of the assistant coaches that they do like, you know, appease yourself to them in some form or fashion given that, you know, Ty Fiddle Phil Handy and um, Adam Harrington aren't with the team anymore. So, yes, they do. I think the Nets are in a, a bit of a weak spot in in an area where in 2021 they were absolutely stacked and my fellow favourite Nick called them like the uh, the all-star – the the dream team of coaches that yeah. which was insane you know ima, ima Yudoka, mike dantoni they're supporting steve nash which sounds weird to say but finishing off nick with bishop's questions just give me a quick seeding question we don't need to do premiership predict uh, not premiership i'm thinking in afl mode um championship predictions right now but where do you see the nets finishing this season in the seedings let's just go let's stick with the east where do they stand
1: yeah, I think if we think the Nets are going to be healthy and there's not going to be a drastic drama situation, I think a 3 or 4 seed seems likely. You know, I don't think they'll be necessarily super healthy or have zero issues, so I don't think a 1 or 2 is going to happen and I think Milwaukee and Boston are great, but 3 and 4 seem definitely like a real possibility
2: for the Nets. Yeah, look, I think that the top 3 is it would be my guess. Yeah, I think that you, you can pretty clearly put Milwaukee with the healthy Chris Middleton and Boston, given that they made the finals last year, as two teams that you can lock in that are above the Nets right now, despite the, the Nets' talent and, and what they can do. I think they're on the same level as the Sixers. I think they're a yeah. little bit above the Sixers in my personal opinion. I think a, a lot of people are buying into the hype, but maybe I'm buying into the hype of my own team. I think the Sixers now. are a little
1: slow, personally.
2: Yeah, and the 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 way the Nets will play was probably have a bit more pace and maybe you could the way that they do match up against the Sixers, they've they've played well against them in the past. So, in the sort of second rung of elite teams, but they could easily prove us to be one of the best teams given the talent, given what Sean Marks has done and you know how good Katie and Kyrie can be when they are together alongside the role players like Joe Harris, Clax, Ben Simmons, and the like. So, but we'll we'll get to we'll obviously discuss that a lot more in our season preview prediction in in a lot more detail, but. Uh, a shout out to me, Nick. Here, a uh, grey goo who uh, is a great listener and, and a great follow on Twitter as well. He said, "I quite vehemently I love that word." Disagreed with your takes on who was to blame for the team's disarray this off season, Nick. What are you talking about, mate? He's disagreeing <laughs> with you. No, he's obviously talking about me. With the team running it back, have your perceptions of marks and side changed at all? Have your perceptions changed, Nick?
1: You know, I don't want to say the perceptions have necessarily changed, but you do definitely give them credit because obviously the situation worked in essentially their favor. You know, I think you could look at it somewhere between a calculated risk and a little bit of luck, you know, given the Rudy Gobert trade, teams not being super aggressive in trading for Kevin Durant and kind of how everything ended up back in the spot. I think, you know, Sean Marks gets a little bit more respect because he did a great job of kind of balancing these trade demands by still finding a way to have, you know, a contending type roster going to the season, you know, Joe Cy, unless, you know, we get some more information about that meeting. I'm not sure. I've heard,
2: I've heard things about Clara side, Nick, being a big factor in that. Now, again, don't, I'm not a a source man. Don't quote me on my sources or whatever, but I've heard things about Clara side was a a big factor in, in that meeting.
1: And we've seen her, you know, talk with numerous players in the past. Even, you know, Bruce Brown, you know, it seemed like he had a relationship with her before he left and attended her event, even knowing he wouldn't necessarily be on the team moving forward. So, you know, shout out to Joe Sy and Clara Sy finding a way to have an impact as, you know, a duo, you know, and getting Kevin Durant to come back to the Nets, whatever works like they still, I guess they do get credit, but it. I still view the way that the events played out poorly because I think there were things that. Marks and Cy would definitely say they would have changed. And obviously, as we've said in the past, everybody played a role in this negative situation. But as the leadership leaders of the organization understanding the value of superstars, I still think you can look back at that and say, wow, this could have, you know, crippled
2: the franchise. I think I'll judge my perceptions after this season. What happens? That's, you know, a, are that's the a fair Nets, take. I, are the Nets going to be a championship contender? Are they, you know, in the finals? Are they around the finals? You know, a, a shot here or there away from being, you know, winning the Larry OB. That's when I'll judge my perceptions. You know, Do I'll, they make uh, that term- final
1: push too at the deadline?
2: Exactly. You know, Cy, you know, we've seen a lot of the um, the trade exceptions, you know, expire. You know, haven't had, haven't had the additions there. A lot of teams don't use them, obviously. But, you know, I'll judge Joe I My short Marks perceptions change because... It's about the team and how they look. You know, he has the opportunity up until the trade deadline to make you know some more moves, and I will judge him on the moves. I think I've done a relatively you know, objective job of judging him based on what he's doing to the team. You know, some of the words that he said about you know we want guys that are here, all those sort of things. You know, we want to get the culture back. You know, is that him or is that Joe or a combination of both? Probably, you know, the latter. But Joe I still have some ill feelings towards because of how this whole saga um, did run out. And again, I probably should have given maybe upon reflection some more criticism towards Katie and Kyrie themselves. But I also do think that I gave a little bit here and there. I just think I'm always going to side with... Players more so than management because this is a players' league, Nick. Players win the games. Players are the superstars. You know, you don't go to a game to watch Shaw, Marks, and Joe Sai in the in the in the seats next to her. You go there to watch LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the rest of them. So I'm I might be a player stand or whatever else it might be, but whoever it is that's going to be here with Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown, I'll always stick with the players and side with them uh, above management. But, you know, my perceptions are are subject to change. That's what I will say.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point to see how the season plays out and if it does end up with a successful year for the Nets. And
2: I'll be praising and I'll be joining the exact same religion as Joe Side, the religion <laughs> of winning, which is the one that we all uh, are, are wanting to follow as Brooklyn Nets fans. Jay from BK, always a great follower Nets, Twitter, Nets spaces. Question one, with the expectation that everyone will be healthy, do you think that Patty Mills can realistically crack the current 10-man rotation? Now, we had... Chats about rotation talk as well. And we also had, what is Paddy Mills role next season from Aaron? Um, So I guess with Paddy, Nick, just to reiterate some quick thoughts on him
1: yeah i mean with patty obviously the issue is he's undersized doesn't necessarily have ball skills he's not a playmaker he was a great compliment to a player like james harden in the sense of hardens more of that playmaker at the two slash three and then patty doesn't really have to play point guard and obviously we saw his flaws last year towards the second half of the season and in the postseason i think also some of that was him just being overused and in terms of jay's question i think you know, you look at Patty probably com- uh, competing for that like 10th spot in the rotation. I-, I pulled out my notes because I've been working on my rotations. <laughs> um, Kyrie, Joe, Katie, Ben, and Clax would probably be your starters. And then coming off the bench, you'd have Seth, Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren, Markeith Morris. And then for that 10th spot, you're probably looking between Patty Mills and Cam Thomas. You know, that would probably be where it kind of balances out. And a lot of that also would be played out in how the the style of play the Nets are going to have based off of how Steve Nash's coach in the past and his relationship with patty mills which seems to be really good we saw them what having like coffee or something early in the offseason i would guess patty probably gets that 10th spot and would be a guy that gets a bigger role if somebody gets injured or something like that but i don't think he's going to play as prominent role as last season obviously
2: no, and he was forced to play a more prominent role last season because yep. he was the only guy that was healthy. Like he he, he had he was going to be out for a, a game with a, an injured ankle and he had to play because if the Nets didn't play the game would have been postponed or canceled due to COVID reasons. So, look, I think that Paddy Mills is likely to be there because why are you extending him and and paying him while I I was vehement on wanting Bruce Brown over Paddy Mills despite my obvious Aussie allegiances I just think in terms of just player and value I just think Bruce Brown just adds more and the fact that he wasn't offered anything and Paddy Mills was given an extension the nature that he was it just didn't make sense to me but and that's an area of of concern that I had with with Sean Marks but if he's the Ben Simmons whisperer and we get Ben Simmons like we discussed in the last episode with Hassan's question to average a triple double and he's playing and he's healthy and he's playing defense like no man's other, then that extension is worth, you know, a a dime a dozen, you know, it's absolutely invaluable. It's just, it's truly invaluable. If we get Ben Simmons at at the best version of he is, I think it'll crack the rotation as well, Nick. And I think it sort of relates to uh, Jay's other question. How many, well, and how many I just sp- want to say
1: one more thing, Jack, on Patty. It's just also if Harris or Seth go down, then it's like, all right, we have another 40% three-point shooter that can kind of be infused to the lineup. And obviously we saw last year you can never have enough spacing because spacing was so poor last season. Not to say, you know, Patty's going to be this awesome playoff guy, but he's definitely a guy that can eat minutes throughout the regular season. I think also from a quote-unquote culture and leadership perspective, not even just with Ben Simmons, I think he's a good guy to have around. He seems just like a lot of positive
2: vibes. All good vibes with Paddy Mills, and he's coming down to Australia, I believe. So for any Aussie listeners that are intrigued about seeing Paddy Mills live, I think look on his Twitter page. You know, I'm looking to maybe try and uh, attend that as well. But uh, Jay also asked, how many Smurfs, Smurfs meaning small guys, do you envision, and he used the emoji Canada and Bacon, so Steve Nash playing together in a lineup. Nick, you've done all the lineup configurations here and there. Could we see a lineup that has... Seth, Joe, Patty, Ben, and Clax or something? We'll, we'll, could we see Seth, Joe, Patty, Kyrie? I don't think that that's likely, but is the max three guards or three guard types?
1: Yeah, I think, Joe, I would probably lean towards more being a wing. I would think, ideally, you wouldn't want to have more than, you know, Kyrie and Seth or Kyrie and Patty or Patty and Seth on the floor together. So hopefully he doesn't play more than, you know, as Jay said, two Smurfs on the floor. But uh, I'm sure we'll get some three-guard lineups because it seems like something that Steve Nash loves to do. Not to say I agree with I think Cam probably could get on with those guys depending injuries or whatever it might be. But ideally, you don't have more than two. And in playoff-type situations, you really only want one.
2: Yeah, I mean, during the regular season, you could go OKC mode play Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gillis-Alexander. I mean, Shea Gillis-Alexander is like 6'7", and Chris Paul. But you know, to me, it's when when it does matter. You know, will Patty Mills be in that rotation? Seth Curry is he still going to be with the team? Given you know some trade murmurings around him, Joe Harris, same sort of thing. So I think that two, three years is, is probably the the likelihood. But the Nets have a lot of talent at the guard, like they did at the center position last year. Final question, Nick, and it's a good one. If you could trade for 1-5, who would it be? Now, I've done a little bit of research on this, too. Do you mind if I jump in, my guy?
1: Yeah, do it. Do it up, Jack. And I just want to make sure we're talking realistic trade targets. Obviously, we all would hope yes. for Joel Embiid or Nicole Jokic, but realistically, well, who do you got?
2: Well, outside of Miles Turner, I'll throw a few names in it. Jakob Pertl, I think, is, is a name that's been brought up a little bit, and I think he's an incredible defender. And speaking about room protection, I think he's certainly up there. A guy like Jonas Valanciunas is a realistic name uh, that you could throw into to the mix as well. Clint Capella, um, that that's probably another a guy that it could be could be gotten. Uh, and who was my last one? I had someone else. Oh, Jonathan Isaac, despite the the not necessarily the same uh, pil- political and religious beliefs that I, I do share with him. Those names to me are ones that stand out. Like you could throw Seth Curry for Jakob Pertl straight up. I'm pretty sure that the the contracts do work there. Whereas you probably have to do maybe Joe Harris and also Wendell Carter Jr., which I think I saw brought up. Yeah, Jack, thanks for taking my last one. (laughs) i will have to get through all the names. just like you, when we did the free agency previews and like going through every position, (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, I'll just say Control-C, Control-V, and let's Mm -hmm. move on to the next position. But in saying that, out of those names, Nick, what's realistic – And what would you value, which player would you value the most out of all of them? Yeah, I got one more, actually. I got Larry Nance Jr. There we Uh, are. How did I forget about (laughs) on the jet ski, Larry Nance Jr.? Yeah,
1: and I think one common theme with a lot of these picks are it's a teams that have, you know, maybe a surplus of centers or guys that they could potentially move on. I think Jackson Hayes would be another guy to potentially look at just given New Orleans has him, Valanchunas and Nance and Zion coming back. There's not necessarily room for all three of those guys, and I think they could probably use more three-point shooting, and Seth Curry could be an attractive piece. You mentioned Wendell Carter and Jonathan Isaac. You know, obviously both guys need to get minutes, and given, you know, some of the draft picks and how certain players have popped off for the Magic, they could look to move one of those guys, and we've discussed Miles Turner a ton already, so I think Miles Turner probably is the most likely one just because we know the Pacers are looking to trade or are willing to trade him. The Orlando guys seem the less likely because they would want real value in New Orleans, I think, makes somewhat of sense because they'd be looking for another player that fits their roster rather than getting a draft pick or something. And they want to compete this season. So, you know, moving uh, a position where you have a surplus for a need makes a lot of sense, too.
2: Yeah, and Atlanta, I think with, with John Collins, Clint or New yeah. Kong with that sort of stacked front line, one of those guys yeah. could be got. So um, we'll have to wait and see how. The, I think and- that's
1: an how- underrated actually pick, Jack Clint because a uh, Kongu is a guy that it seems like Atlanta really likes and they want to use. And if they can't find the right move for John Collins, you know maybe they run with that duo moving forward rather than you know paying Clint Capella you know twenty million a season.
2: Yeah, I'm not a fan of that contract. I think whereas the other guys, you know, you can talk. And his fit into. with Ben is not necessarily ideal. No, I mean, but Ben and Joel, like he he throws a, a lot of lob passes to Joel when he's in the dunker spot as well. I was watching some highlights as I posted today. But getting back to the guards, Nick, I think we sort of discussed this already, and we could probably have a pretty quick answer to it. Who is the odd man out out of Seth, Joe, and Patty? Lots, of, and this is from the only Nets fan you know podcast. Lots of guards and Nets might need more size and defense, which they certainly do. But out of those three, is it Patty Mills?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious at this point, especially given that Seth Curry's, you know, has the same issue that Patty has in terms of defending. But he's a little bit bigger and he's a better offensive player. And really, you know, I think he's going to operate as so much of a ball handler and a playmaker for
2: second units. I think Seth as well has a better handle, has a better mid-range shot. I think he's just a better offensive force yeah, than the Patty Mills. Just a better Mills. player. Yeah, you know, Joe, and just a better player all around. Probably you can make arguments that Paddy Mills' tenacious defence, his sneaky sort of defence, may be an argument for that. The energy that he brings, whereas Joe Harris is probably you know the the better two-way player out of the two, and is obviously four, five, six inches taller than both of them. So and arguably the best
1: three-point shooter out of the
2: three. Ah, oh, I mean that—that'd be a fun discussion, you know. But maybe for for when we get into some of the guards, if we include Joe Harris in that, who would you like? Ball on the line, given you know, I think Seth Curry's postseason uh, resume, as well as Patty Mills, to a lesser extent, is much greater than Joe Harris's. You know, maybe you'd rather have Seth out there, um, in certain lineups. If you got Ben to sort of you know, and you got you, T.J. Warren or a good Kessler Edwards or Mark if Mariff is playing, all right. A discussion for another day because we got pl- plenty more questions to still get to. And one of them is going back to our man. Well, uh, oh, actually, Matt. Jack, the
1: second part of the question, lots of guards and need to do more size and defense. Just to touch on that real quick. Cool. I think they're with the way the roster is constructed, they have the flexibility to make that move for more two way versatility as they get closer to deadline. I think right now it's hard to find that trade. And as we discussed, you know, the trade demand of Kevin Durant kind of, you know, put a halt on everything for the Nets to acquire players early in the offseason. So we'll see what happens as it progresses towards the deadline.
2: Yeah, put a halt on Pat Beverly's future as well before he <laughs> headed to the Lakers. Um, Nick, we'll get to Steve Nash. What's the likelihood, And this is via Cipher 4 Did we ask this on the last time? What's the likelihood of Nash reflecting on his mistakes and becoming a better coach next season? Um,
1: I think Nash should get better. You know, you would think he would get better. You know, another year of experience. He dealt with a lot of issues. You know, knock on wood, likely won't deal with those same issues this season. And I think if you look back to him as like a player, he was competitive. He did improve. So like. I don't think Steve Nash is an idiot. You know, I think that he's probably like, yeah, I didn't have a great season coaching. I could have done better. I think we even heard something from like I Eagle on a podcast. If you ask Steve Nash, he would tell you that, you know, the season hasn't gone the way he wanted from a coaching perspective. So you would think that he's working on it. And if he's not, then, you know, they'll be looking for a new head coach at some point in potentially, you know, early 2023 or maybe late
2: 2022. Yeah. We'll have to wait and say on that. And I think that, to give Steve Nash, you know, a, a pass to success. Jason Kidd is a coach that I didn't rate very highly. Yeah. Udoka at the start of his tenure in Boston, both of those guys have you know, work their way into being good coaches, you know, Nate McMillan in in, in fits and spurts with, with Atlanta and as well as Indiana has, has improved. So coaches can get better. It's whether our one does, you know, to, to enough to actually impact the team positively
1: and rosters can have a huge impact on the way a guy coaches. If he doesn't have the pieces he needs to coach a style he wants to play, you know, not to try to defend Steve Nash, but if Steve wanted to play fast last season and Mark's brought in a lot of old players, obviously that's not a great combination.
2: Yeah, there's no excuses anymore for the the Nets team and as well, and that includes Steve Nash overall, given everything out yep. at his disposal. Um Nick, we'll get to Paul Tweets too much. At Paul Tweets too much, he 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 responded a little bit late, but he wanted to ask us this. I'm late to the mailbag, but what do you think the chances are that a Kessler is a better basketball player than Yuta Watanabe is this season? Yeah,
1: that is a really great question from Paul Tweets too much. Um I, I think it's possible. But Utah already does, you know, a lot of those like dirty work, little things that it's hard to necessarily teach young players. And he understands kind of how he can be successful in his role and do that at a pretty high level. So I don't know if we should put a percentage on it. I think it's also tough is because like obviously the Nets aren't going to cut Kessler Edwards. There's a chance they could cut Utah and add, you know, someone else into that spot. So,
2: man, man, what do you think, Jack? I think that the discern like you look at probably the prototypes of them as players, both tall athletes that I think Kessler was is a better three point shooter. You know, yeah, despite the fact that mechanically, you know, when you look at a 2 and he's I, I love a lefty as well. I love I've watched watching lefties take the three ball. His shot looks pretty smooth. It is it is relatively smooth. Especially it's just compared be, to Kess. <laughs> yeah, but Kessler's goes in you know, and Kesses has proven to go in. Like there were points during the season where he was the best the rookie three-point shooter and he was letting it fly. He had these ups and downs, but that's a point where it's just like, okay, wh- where is Nash going to, to lean towards? Where are the nets going to lean towards? And you know, I think Utah is a, is a guy that's probably stronger, probably a better defender, better, better rebounder. I think that's an area of strength also for Kessler Edwards. Yeah, and so like, and gonna- I could
1: argue that maybe Kess is better on ball against guards and like, yes, you know, quicker wings where
2: Utah is probably better against some of the longer, like, truer forwards. So, and obviously game reps and game awareness is, is a real weakness of of Kessler, was, you know, just the, the general Experience. basketball... Yeah, experience, basketball instincts, where I think Utah just knows how to do the little things. He... I think Kess cuts okay, but I think Utah, you know, watching some of his highlights as well, trying to catch up and be a bit more abreast with it all, as as you were on the last episode, he cuts really well. I think he's got good, just sort of game now, where I think that, that is a real weakness for Kess. Like in the open court, you know, he'll have a layup where he should be dunking or he misses an open layup or, or, or little things like that. So the little things, like you alluded to, Nick, is where, like a role player like Utah Watanabe, who's been a role player his entire career has figured out some things but I'm going to bank I'm going to bank on the ceiling of Kessler Woods because I think he's got a bit of a a a dead rap but I'm hoping I'm not going to be eating my own words but ultimately I want one of these guys to be contributing for the Nets because what they are as a product Product, typical at, at NBA players as wings that can shoot the three and play a bit of defense, whether it's small ball or wings or whatever it might be, that's going to have a big impact on the Nets. So I hope one of these guys hitting could be a big impact on the nets overall. Yeah. You almost talked me into Utah
1: with all kind of your talking points, just because he's more polished, you know, and he has more experience in, and kind of playing that fifth, person but you're also offense per- role,
2: but you're also a person that always, you know, reverts back to the three point shooting, Nick. And yeah. do you, do you, Utah, his volume has always been quite low. I think it's like thirty three, thirty four percent is around these sort of ranges. Whereas Kess lets it fly, you know, and and he's any he, like you said, he knocks
1: it down. He had games where he knocked down multiple threes. So I think yep. it's, it's definitely like Utah seems like the safer bet because you really know what he is right now. Where Kess could. He'd be a guy that maybe could have a great camp and gain confidence and have an awesome season. So if it's the same player we saw last season, I think Utah's the better guy. But if, if Kess takes strides in camp and not even huge strides, just kind of minor strides and understanding and being number one, like you said, being able to just dribble the basketball and not look super scared when you get it passed to you, like that's gonna be a huge step for him. So I think as of right now, Utah's probably the better player, but Kess could easily surpass him this season with just making minor improvements.
2: I don't disagree with that whatsoever. We'll have to wait and see, but do you agree with my take that if the Nets have one of those two guys contributing and being part of a seven, eight-man rotation, it really sort of it, it levels them up as a possible contender, having guys that at their size, whether it's Kess guarding like Steph Curry or whatever, like he did for pretty well, uh, or Utah as sort of like just a, a bigger guy and, and guarding some of the wings, better wings like uh, Jason Tatum or whoever else it might be. Do you think that, either guy could genuinely crack the rotation and genuinely actually make an impact throughout the year and maybe the postseason.
1: Yeah, I think uh, both guys because they're both probably plus defensive players. If they could, either of them could shoot maybe 38 or 39% from three on decent volume that would get them on the floor because of just what they can do. It's funny enough is, you know, Kess has some similarities in terms of what he can do for as a forward and blocking shots. You know, it's not at the same level as Utah, but it's something he could improve on, especially with his help activity because he's a guy that's very engaged. It's just kind of learning, like you said, the experience and getting some of the reps on the floor. So I think if either guy is able to shoot really well from three, it's going to be a huge factor because of the
2: impact they could potentially have defensively. Yep, that's totally true. I, I love talking about these sort of questions. It, it's I, it's good nice to, to
1: actually have a discussion like this after the last two months.
2: <laughs> it's been wonderful, and we appreciate ev- anyone and everyone that's reached out and everyone, that everyone that's everyone that been listening to us discuss the the Brooklyn Nets basketball again. Uh, We've got a couple more to get to, Nick. One was hit me up in the DMs from Solidarity Forever uh, on Twitter. He said, I see Simmons playing a role a lot like Bruce Brown did when he played at the Five two years ago. I think that's why they didn't make an offer to Brown. Because Simmons is bigger and a much better passer and rebounder than, than Brown um, was made superfluous. What do you guys think about that? We ended up having a bit of a discussion back and forth about his love for Bruce Brown, my love for Bruce Brown. But what are your thoughts, I guess, on Bruce Brown, you know, uh, Ben Simmons essentially being a souped up better version of what Bruce Brown essentially is?
1: Yeah, I think probably Ben is more than that, obviously. I think uh, from a playmaking perspective and what the Nets are going to ask him to do. But if he plays that role sometimes, he could be extremely effective like him on the short roll is a problem for a lot of people because the way he can pass but also the way he can finish like if you're rotating with a a wing or a guard even some bigs you know Ben can go up if he's confident and finish on those guys you know potentially get free throws if you know that's something he's willing to do this season so I think that played a role I also think the fact is that Bruce couldn't like yeah he shot well quote-unquote from three last year but it was wide open attempts and not really contest and it was only from the corners so I think there was always going to be a concern can like these two, two guys play on the floor together at the same time and not really make life for you know Katie and Kyrie miserable like we saw last year in the postseason. So, and and there were just like a couple rumblings that Bruce wasn't necessarily you know Kevin Durant's favorite. So I'll just throw that out there too. So that the, all those different factors I think just didn't align for Bruce, and I think the Nets were pretty happy getting Royce O'Neal to play that role that Bruce was going to play in terms of being that tough guy that played that grit, played that defensive, but also was able to shoot the three ball at a lot better clip than Bruce.
2: Yeah, very good clip. You know, um, we'll be getting into a lot of Royce O'Neill thoughts. I've watched a lot of film on him in a similar way probably Nick has with you. So what's an army? <laughs> um, but in, in saying that, I, I agree with your first point where you're just saying it's almost disrespectful to Ben Simmons to say that he's going to be, you know, Bruce Brown-ish. You know, but I, I see where the comparison is made from Solidarity Forever because, like you alluded to, passing out of the short role. He is an incredible rebounder, Ben Simmons as well. He's much better than Bruce Brown, and he's six inches taller. You know? Yeah, and in terms of that small ball five, you know, Ben Simmons isn't really a small ball five. He, he is the size of a five. It's just that his rim protection isn't great, and he's. But his rim protection is still going to be better than Bruce Brown. And if he's going to be a, the the one thing that probably Ben uh, Bruce Brown has shown a willingness to do is you know screen a lot and be a good screener that's what i want to see from ben simmons and if he does that then that unlocks so much of his personal game the nets overall opening up gaps for our superstars and and our shooters so i I want that's where i want ben to sort of really learn maybe a thing or two from bruce brown use your massive frame my guy you are insanely just buy in too yeah, and, and just do it. You know, obviously there's rumors about him and Maya Jammer. You know, we're not TMZ, we won't discuss that, but I, I might ask my, my partner about um some information she might have on that and bring it to the next episode. But I, I see the comparisons and I I still want Bruce Brown to be on this team. Like if you give me Bruce Brown or Patty Mills as much as again, I'm obsessed and love Patty Mills so much, I'd rather have Bruce Brown because I think he impacts basketball in a variety of fashions that Patty Mills doesn't. But that's a discussion for another day. And I think and I and- think
1: there's still a fair concern with Bruce's basketball fit with this team, especially since they retain Claxton and Ben, you know, having two of those three guys on the floor is always going to kind of be an issue. I'd still rather
2: have the better player. It's just like fit. I just take fit out of the equation. And just go. Just give me a better basketball player. Yeah, Patty Mills is going to be a perfect fit, you know, in spacing wise. But you got Seth Curry, you got Joe Harris, and you know, Bruce has shown improvements there again on limited volume, and and will I buy into that. But you know, maybe I'm I'm a Bruce Brown stand and maybe I'm I'm loving uh, a bit a bit of Bruce too much. But final question, Nick. We've got to get to it. Corey Cantor. My question is twofold. The first is how do you see the regular season rotation playing out? And secondly, what standard should the Nets organization be held to? And if you and Jack agree with the view that if things don't go well, that every Every player should be on the chopping block. Give me your rotation thoughts first, Nick.
1: Yeah, we pretty much kind of talked about it. You know, you'd have Kyrie, um, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton. And then off the bench, it would be probably Markeith Morris, TJ Warren, Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry. And like we talked about, Cam and Patty, you know, fighting for that last spot. You know, I do have I do have a rough numbers estimation if you want that as well. Ah, uh, save
2: that Nick. Save that for the previews. We're uh, gonna like leave something. We'll build in up the some tape.
1: hype. Yeah, we'll build up some yeah. hype. Obviously I have too much time on my hands, but <laughs>
2: No, I, I'm, I'm agreeing. I'm in agreement to the rotation, you know, Kyrie, Joe, KD, Ben Simmons and Claxton. But you can make an argument that maybe if Ben Simmons starts at the five, you throw in Royce O'Neal there in terms of that's the discussion I've had. A lot of people is, is Joe Harris going to start? Is Royce O'Neal going to start? Is Royce O'Neal going to start? Is such and such going to start? Yep. And I like Royce
1: O'Neal has to get a good chunk of
2: minutes if you just traded a first round pick for him exactly exactly and uh, I, I was questionable of that but now obviously with Kevin Rand staying I'm, I'm much more worried on that so I think that's how the rotation could play out and I think you could see sparing minutes here or there from a day one shot from yeah I time was to
1: gonna say Dayron could swap with Mark Heath depending if it's like a, a quote-unquote big man matchup that could be something you could see switched up and like you said you know Cam will get in there and also like a lot of these guys you know you got um joe harris coming off of injury seth curry coming off of injury like these are guys that are going to need nights off you know some extra rest obviously a ton of minutes for Kyrie and katie last year too ben coming off of surgery so like there's going to be plenty of minutes like last year think about all the guys we saw obviously knock on wood no pandemic or COVID or anything like that
2: this year yeah
1: no hopefully none of that um and we see you know we've guys miss time it's just for the normal reasons
2: my opinion on this question, Nick, because the bell probably might go before you give yours, is that the standards that the net should be held to is championship or bust. Yes. And that's on everyone. That's on Sean Marks. That's on Steve Nash. That's on Joe Saw. That's on Kevin Durant. That's on Kyrie Irving. That's on Joe Harris. That's on TJ Warren. That's on every single person within the organization. And if, it, if, if, if they don't achieve that or if they're not at least at a good chance within the running, then, yeah, everyone needs to have a hard look in the mirror uh, top down.
1: Yeah, if it's another terrible season like last year through the regular season, the postseason isn't successful, then, yeah, I think you look at moving everybody or, you know, willing to make drastic moves if necessary. And I think you like you said, you you hold the everybody to the standard of a championship team. And obviously a lot of people in this organization have won championships or been part of great organizations and understand, you know,
2: what's necessary to do that. But I think that wraps us up. Right, Jack? it does thank you every single person that reached out it was a lot of fun we might have to do a couple more mailbags before we get back to it but nick the music has just hit thank you everyone for listening as always five stars if you can subscribe on every single platform and hit us up you know we can always discuss questions on regular episodes we're getting into some previews i've got Only a certain amount of time. I'm being talked out by Elton John and Dua leap. if you can hear me in the background, guys. Subscribe. Five stars. Thank you, everybody, for listening.
0: I'm Mark Chapman.
2: Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast